Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover, and with me is our host and teacher, Chris Katulka. Think about the last time you updated your resume. You crafted that resume to prove you are qualified for a specific position. Well, Jesus used the Old Testament to prove that he was qualified for the position of the Messiah. That's right. And Jesus had to present his resume to Israel. And there were 333 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. And he had to prove that he's qualified for that very divine position. Well, today we're going to open to Luke chapter 4 when Jesus was announcing to the Jewish people of his hometown, Nazareth, that he was the Messiah. And he says this, today the scripture has been fulfilled even as you heard it being read. And he was quoting right from Isaiah chapter 61. So stick around for a great message from Luke chapter 4. But let me say something. The Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry has been producing Israel My Glory magazine for more than 70 years. And if you don't get Israel My Glory, I want to encourage you to do that today. You can simply go to foiradio.org and right there you can subscribe to get a one-year free subscription. That's six issues of timely and insightful articles on trends that impact Israel and the Christian community. So be sure to go to foiradio.org to do that. And now the news. Poland's government is looking to outlaw any association of the Polish people with Nazi crimes. The bill states that anyone who publicly accuses the Polish nation of being responsible or complicit in the Nazi crimes grossly diminishes the actual perpetrators thereof and violators of this law would be subject to a fine or a penalty of imprisonment for up to three years. Well, when this was announced, Israel immediately responded by rejecting this law, which has sparked a lot of anti-Semitic backlash in Poland. Well, well, here's my take. The Polish government's attempt to clear their name from the history of the Holocaust by legislating what people can think and say about Poland's wartime history will only hurt the efforts to preserve the truth of the Holocaust for future generations. Announcements are real important. Uh, I can remember after all our kids were born, my wife got to work putting together baby announcement cards to send to all of our family and friends just to let everyone know officially the baby's full name uh, when the baby was born or maybe even the time of the birth and the baby's weight. And and also there's engagement announcements uh, to announce officially that a couple is uh, intending to get married uh, and, and then there are some of my favorite announcements as well, the, the political announcements, when mayors and governors and senators, congressmen and, and even presidential candidates officially announce their candidacy for office. And it's usually a pretty big deal because now all the speculation is over. They've officially thrown their hat in the ring. Well, the Bible has announcements as well, divine announcements that are seen all throughout the scriptures. God would often send angels or special messengers or, or, or prophets to announce his truth. But one announcement in the Bible that really stands out is the one that comes from the mouth of Jesus himself. In the first few chapters of Luke's gospel, Luke is writing to scripturally establish 
Jesus's messianic ministry. And by Luke chapter four, we've already seen a couple things. We've seen Jesus's divine birth in Bethlehem, which is very messianic. We've already read about his royal genealogy, and uh, we've seen the, the, his family line, where he comes from, that he comes from King David, very messianic. He comes from Abraham. All of these things that are pointing to his messiahship. And, and we've already watched Jesus squash Satan's attempt to tempt him. And we've seen him baptized by John the Baptist when the Spirit came down, when he was anointed. Uh, again, a very, uh, a very important messianic passage there. Well, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is making his own announcement, a, a very important and significant announcement in his ministry. And just listen to what Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21 says. Then Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and news about him spread throughout the surrounding countryside. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by all. Now Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and went into the synagogue on Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the regaining of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to tell them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled, even as you heard it being read. Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth. And as a pious Jewish man, Jesus makes his way to a synagogue on Saturday morning when the men would gather for service. And a, and a typical synagogue service during Jesus's time would include a reading from the Torah, the law, and then a section, a reading from the prophets. It's called the Haftarah. And, and, and this was again followed by a sermon from the scriptures that were just read. And the service was concluded by a blessing that was said by the leader and then a priestly a blessing. And that, and that was a typical synagogue service during the days of Jesus. And so Jesus gets up to read for the section from the prophets. And it says that the scroll of Isaiah was given to him and he turned to the passage he wanted to read from. And this is interesting because a lot of scholars debate whether or not Jesus uh, was uh, in the liturgical system uh, that Isaiah 61 just happened to be there that day. But what, the, what, what Luke is trying to communicate is that Jesus in his own will, nobody told him to turn there, turned to Isaiah 61 to read specifically this passage. And after uh, Jesus reads through Isaiah 61, he returns the scroll of Isaiah to the attendant and he sits down and then he says this, today the scripture has been, been fulfilled even as you heard it being read. And this, my friends, is a powerful statement. Jesus is saying that God's prophetic word is being fulfilled right before the eyes of those attending the synagogue service that day. A, a very bold statement for Jesus to make to his neighbors, the, the people who watched him grow up, who watched him become a teenager, who watched him learn to become a carpenter. Uh, when you watch someone grow, you know them personally. And even as Jesus finished, the worshipers at the synagogue said, 
isn't this Joseph's son? So, so first Jesus makes the bold statement, the spirit of the Lord is upon me from Isaiah chapter 61. And this verse is packed with Jewish thought and prophecy on the Messiah. You, you know, first notice every person of the Trinity is mentioned in this first section of Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1. The Lord, Yahweh, the God, the uh, God, the Father. Uh, and then uh, Jesus mentions me, which is the Son. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's the, the image of the Messiah, the Son. And then there's the Spirit is mentioned as well. So we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all playing the, uh, their vital roles here in this first section of Isaiah 61. And, and when Jesus attributes this verse to himself, he's announcing that he's the Messiah the king of Israel. He's the anointed one, which is what it means to be the Messiah. And then he goes on to say in Luke chapters 4, verses 18 through 20, that he's quoting from Isaiah 61. And and the role of the Messiah comes to life in this passage. There's a few things that we see in Isaiah 61. First this, that the Messiah has come to proclaim good news to the poor. And by poor, Jesus means not just the fact that they're financially poor, but that they're spiritually poor, the humble, those who would follow God. Jesus is bringing good news to them. He's come to proclaim the release of the captives, which Jesus uses to show he's come to set people free, not just from oppression from Rome, but even greater than that. He's come to set people free from sin. He's come to give sight to the blind. And Jesus is not only talking about physical miracles here, that someone who's blind would have sight, but he's going even one step further. He's saying that he's, uh, he's talking about the idea of bringing light into a dark place. Jesus also makes reference to Isaiah 58 verse 6 when he's saying that he's come to set free those who are oppressed and only the Messiah has the ability and power to set free and give liberty to those who are downtrodden and oppressed. And again, Jesus, one more time, he makes reference to liberty and freedom when he says that he has been sent to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is a reference to the year of, uh, year of Jubilee in Leviticus chapter 27, when God forgives debts and pronounces liberty, freedom in the land. It's important to understand that Jesus shares only two verses from Isaiah 61, and he actually omits a vital part of the verse. Right after Isaiah 61 verse 2, it says that the anointed one will announce the year when the Lord will show his favor. Isaiah goes on to say that the day is also the day of vengeance of the judgment of God. Jesus actually leaves out the judgment section of Isaiah 61, verse 2. Why why does he do that? Well, it's believed that Jesus is sending a message to his audience that his first advent, his first coming, is not associated with God's judgment, but only the spiritual freedom from the bonds of sin and shame and guilt. However, his second coming will be the one associated with God's wrath and judgment on earth his judgment for sin. But when you pan back even more from Isaiah 61 and you look beyond the first two verses that Jesus read from and you see the whole chapter, 
This whole chapter of Isaiah 61, imagine that audience sitting there listening to Jesus speak. They would have known Isaiah 61, and they would have associated this chapter with a new age to come for Israel. You know, in Isaiah, God is angry at Israel, especially in Isaiah 58, for playing uh, religion, for playing the game of religion and not actually living it out. God judges Israel and calls them out for acting religious by fasting, but then turning around and abusing each other by taking advantage of those who can't help themselves. Well, God is angry that their worship doesn't match their lifestyle. But then you get to Isaiah 61, when God prophesizes about a time in Israel's future when their worship would not only be their sacred acts of fasting and worshiping God, but that their worship would be in every aspect of their life. And when that day comes, the anointed one, the one who the spirit of the Lord is upon to take the poor in spirit, the brokenhearted, the captives, the oppressed, all of those who have been abused, and he will set them free. And when that day comes, Israel will truly experience the fullness of God's blessing. They will fulfill their true mission given to them in Exodus chapter 19, when they will be the priests of the Lord and ministers of our God, as Isaiah 61 says. When we return, we're going to look at what those Jewish people from Nazareth sitting in that synagogue really thought about what Jesus was saying in Isaiah 61, and then we're going to apply it to our lives. So stick around. In his classic book, Sketches of Jewish Social Life, Dr. Alfred Edersheim takes the works of Jewish historians Philo and Josephus, as well as other rabbinic sources, to help the days of Jesus come alive. Chris, how have the works of Edersheim influenced you as you study the Old Testament? Yeah, I use Edersheim a lot, actually. Uh, recently, we did our Christmas series, and we looked specifically at how the, the birthplace of Jesus in Bethlehem was an area where Passover lambs were, were kept, that they were destined for slaughter. Well, I, I didn't come up with that on my own. I actually got that information from the deep study of Dr. Edersheim. So I am in debt to the work of, of Edersheim and his attention to detail. You can purchase your copy of Sketches of Jewish Social Life. Go to foiradio.org or call our listener line at 888-343-6940. 888-343-6940. Again, our website is foiradio.org. Welcome back, everyone. We've been talking about Jesus's announcement of his Messiahship from Luke chapter 4 when Jesus stood up in a synagogue in Nazareth and read from Isaiah 61, uh, really giving us his resume, showing us that he is qualified for this position and that the spirit of the Lord is upon him. A very messianic claim from the Old Testament to an audience that's from his hometown. They knew Jesus. But, you know, we have to ask ourselves a question. What does this mean for me? Well, as I was looking over Luke chapter 4, I couldn't help but notice Isaiah says twice that the one who the Spirit of the Lord rests on is given the divine task to proclaim. 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Another way to put it is Jesus has come to announce that there is liberty, freedom, and forgiveness in what he will eventually do on the cross. But then the Apostle Paul picks up on this theme of announcing, proclaiming, preaching in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, when he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And and how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach proclaim, announce the good news. And here's what I love about those verses is that Paul quotes right from Isaiah 52, verse 7, when he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach, proclaim, announce the good news. How can someone call on the name of Jesus if they've never believed in him? How can they believe in Jesus if they've never heard about him? How can they hear about Jesus unless someone announces him? Well, somebody has to be sent to do this work. And you know what? That somebody is us. Friends, we have been given the divine task to carry on announcing the liberty, freedom, and forgiveness found in Christ Jesus. We bear the good news that Jesus has come to set the captives free, to forgive us of our debts, and to proclaim liberty in him by pointing people to the finished work of Christ on the cross. And just as Jesus was sent to proclaim and announce Jesus has sent us to proclaim and announce him. Are you proclaiming? Are you announcing Jesus? I believe this is such a vital part of the Christian life, to take the good news that has changed your life, that's changed my life, the good news that sets you free from sin, from shame, from guilt, and to proclaim it, to announce it to others. And let's be honest, many people will probably say, no thanks, don't need it, don't want it. But there may be one out there who you know who feels trapped and is longing to be free, longing to find forgiveness, longing for liberty. And how will they hear without someone announcing Jesus Christ? My friends, let's pray together that God would give us the confidence, the boldness, the strength, and the clarity to announce the liberty and freedom found in Christ Jesus. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher. A new law was recently passed in Israel saying Hebrew Christians must now be called simply Christians. Some of my so-called friends asked, What are you doing in Israel? You're not a Jew now, but a Christian. I told them I was born a Jew, and I'm living in the Promised Land. 
but I did not become a good Jew until I received the Lord Jesus as my Savior. It is not enough to call yourself a Jew. You must follow in his steps. In whose steps? they asked. I replied, in the steps of the Lord. He does not say, this one is a Jew and this one is a Christian. This one is rich and this one is poor. All those who belong to him belong to one family, the family of God. I explained that although they have more earthly property than I, my family is happier than they. Then one man said, I want to show you what I have done. Although he looked sad, he did not understand how I could be happier than he with all his possessions, so he invited me to his home. He had a very large house, but his two sons looked just as sad as he. Everything seemed so empty. He finally asked, What do you think of my house? It is nice, but you are poor, I replied. He could not believe his ears. How can you say that? he asked. I told him, Because you have no happiness in your home, therefore you really have nothing at all. Do you think you have more? he demanded. Oh, yes, because I have the Lord in my heart, and in him I have great possessions. You speak like a crazy man, he told me. I then asked, Do you have time to come to my home? Of course, I do not have the nice things you have, but the light of the Lord is there. He and his two sons then accompanied me to my home. My children played music and sang for them, and my wife, Naomi, provided fine hospitality. He remarked, Now I see what you mean. But how can you be so happy? Because it is written, Whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. I want that, he said but we are Jewish and you are Christians. I told him, who we are makes no difference. The important thing is that we have one God and one law. You can read the Bible for yourself and learn of the one about whom it is written. By this time, his boys said they wanted to stay with us and he could see how happy they were. He confided, I'm ashamed to say this, but I'm jealous of you. I now know that I am poor and you are rich. I am ready to give everything to be as happy as you. I told him, Such happiness can be yours right now, and you can tell your family you have put your trust in the Lord. It is written, Come, take up the cross and follow me. Everyone who chooses to follow him is happy. How did you come to believe in him? He asked. I was delighted to share my testimony. And then he said, I want to be happy like you, but I do not have the courage. Just open your heart to him. I will leave you alone for a while to think. And when I came back, he was smiling. The light had come to him and given him true happiness. The influence of Svi's life and ministry in Israel inspires many of our Friends of Israel workers around the world, and his testimony continues to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. 
Chris, today you said we've been given the divine task to announce and share Christ to the world. That's right. We've been given a command to announce and share that Jesus is the Messiah. And you know, that might not just be through your words. That could actually be through the resources that you have, that you could give to a ministry like the Friends of Israel that announces and shares Jesus as the Messiah around the world. And you can do all of this by going to foiradio.org and clicking right on our donate link. A reminder, if you have not yet subscribed to Israel My Glory magazine, you can get a full year at no cost. Again, visit foiradio.org. There you can also find the book we mentioned today, Sketches of Jewish Social Life. Again, visit foiradio.org. Our host and teacher is Chris Katolka. Today's program was produced by Tom Gallion, co-written by Sarah Fern, Mike Kellogg, Red Apples of Gold. Our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong. Again, I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.